Hello, teacher friends, and welcome to episode number seven of the Beyond Measure podcast. My name is Christina Whitlock, and yep, I've declared myself your anytime piano teacher friend, and I'm just really looking forward to spending some time with you today. Thanks for being here. Okay, so the last six episodes of this podcast have revolved around a lot of big questions and deep thinking and soul searching. And of course, last week, I just totally called you out and told you that you were wrong about something. So I thought today, if we are going to continue down this track of forging this internet friendship, you and I, that maybe we should just take a minute and laugh together a little bit. (laughs) So that's my plan for today, to tell you some very humorous stories. At least I think they're pretty funny. And they all pertain to my pre-college experiences trying to find a flute teacher in my very, very small town with very limited resources. And before we dive down into that rabbit hole, I would like to just offer a big red rubber stamp disclaimer across these stories. I assume, since you are listening to this episode, that you are a very passionate music educator and you care deeply about the integrity of what we do and the constant improvement to seek out better and more effective ways to teach other individuals about the art of playing an instrument. The stories I'm offering up today have to do with two individuals who found themselves in a very small community trying to offer the best of their knowledge and their abilities um, to serve a niche that needed filled. And that niche, um, in this case, happened to be flute lessons. And I say these things because I know As an educator who feels very strongly about the importance of what I do and how it should be done, I know that it's very easy to find yourself falling into a place of judgment when you hear about others doing the work perhaps a little bit um, less effectively (laughs) than it could be. So with that, I'm just reminding you that I'm putting these stories out there today for a good hearty laugh and nothing more. I'm not asking you to gasp and be horrified at the atrocities of music education going on in my childhood community, (laughs) all right? So if you are not able to pull yourself out of a judgmental headspace, just bypass this episode. But if you want a giggle today, I think you'll find at least one of them here. First up, I'll offer a story about my very first flute teacher, who I am going to call Mr. Joe. (laughs) Now, Mr. Joe is not actually this person's name, but due to the fact that I'm sharing some sensitive material about Mr. Joe today, I just thought, why not go ahead and use a pseudonym for the moment? So Mr. Joe taught flute lessons at a music store that happened to be located right next door to a business that my dad owned. So I had started playing the flute in fifth grade band, and by the time I was in about sixth grade, I decided that I wanted to pursue private lessons as well as band class to strengthen my flute skills. 
my dad set me up for my first lesson with Mr. Joe, and I was really excited, and I was also super nervous because I had not had another private teacher besides my longtime treasured piano teacher, and, you know, I'm kind of a people pleaser, so I really wanted him to like me, and I wanted to wow him with my then, you know, less than one year of flute studies, <laughs> and I went to my first lesson, and I could just tell something was wrong, and I knew I did not have his best attention, and it was kind of driving me crazy because I really wanted him to like teaching me, and yet it was very clear that his attention was not in the lesson. So about 10 minutes into the lesson, he actually looked at me, and he said, you know what? I'm sorry. I cannot teach you right now. And he escorted me out of the music store and right back next door to my dad's business. And all the while, I was kind of horrified about what was going on. And I very clearly remember him telling my dad, you know what? I'm really sorry, but I can't teach her today because I just had a vasectomy this morning. <laughs> Enter pro teaching tip number one. Never try to teach lessons the same day you have any kind of significant medical procedure, especially one that is potentially really painful. I laugh, and at the same time, I know that we are all guilty of imagining that we're going to be able to push through and make it through a few lessons, even though we probably know better in our heart of hearts. So sometimes it's just better to cancel the lesson. I know this may shock you, but my studies with Mr. Joe just didn't really last very long. <laughs> I did end up having probably a few months of lessons with him, but I would say it was probably never really the best possible student-teacher fit. Um, it was also probably because my sixth grade self was a little bit traumatized by his like initial vasectomy story. So... Needless to say, I decided to stop private studies and just continue to work on my own for a little while. Over the next few years, a few significant things changed, namely that I started teaching piano lessons at that very same music store. By the way, Mr. Joe was long gone by that point. <laughs> and as I was teaching at that store, I actually ended up transferring high schools to the town next door as well. And so I began a new high school experience my sophomore year, which meant transferring into a new band and getting a new chair assignment. Um, I don't know if you remember anything about high school band, but chair assignments are a big deal, right? So whoever gets first chair, second chair, third chair, that all is pretty dramatic at that age. And what ended up happening is when I transferred in, I got placed in second chair. And that disrupted like this natural order of things that had been in place for several years at that point, meaning that there had been a set order of young ladies in these chair assignments that had been first, second, third, fourth, fifth chair for many years. And so in comes new transfer student me, kind of pushing most of the other girls down the line. And I've got to say, actually, to my peers' credit, 
Um, I'm pretty sure there were probably some rumblings in the background, but they were all very sweet and accepting to me, and I really appreciated that. Even still, it turns out that high school flute chair situations matter strongly to some people because one night I was doing the dinner dishes at home and I got a phone call from a woman who had been teaching woodwind lessons um, in that town for quite a while. And she, I will never forget, um, I answered the phone and she said, Hi, Christina. I heard that you got second chair in the high school band. That is really something. And she went on to tell me that I needed to come study with her because like four or five of the other girls that played flute in the band studied with her. And therefore, it only made sense for me to go study with her, right? Can we just pause for a moment and talk about the fact that she basically just cold called me and told me that I should study with her? Like, there really was no asking. It was, hey, you're a second chair in this band now. You better come study with me. (laughs) And while I do know there are some teachers out there who do cold calls, um, and if that works for you, that is amazing. Go, teachers, go. Um, I'm just here to tell you uh, that just is way outside my comfort zone, and it just makes me laugh to even think about doing that. Nonetheless, it worked because I agreed and I set up my initial lesson with the teacher I'm going to refer to as Mrs. Roberts. Just prior to starting lessons with Mrs. Roberts, I had been gifted a very old but very sturdy professional model flute. And this was the first professional model I had played, and I was struggling with the tone that I was getting from it, and it wasn't really what I wanted. And I thought I would take it to my first lesson with Mrs. Roberts, and I would have her check it out and just make sure that the issue was not the flute, or at least that we could decide if the problem was me or the flute. So I sit down for my first lesson with Mrs. Roberts and I explain the situation with my flute and I started to hand it over to her and ask her to try it. And I will never forget, as long as I live, the look on her face and she looked me right in the eyes and she said, well, Christina, I don't actually play the flute. (laughs) I had no idea what to say to that. I had never imagined that this woman that called and told me that I should come take flute lessons with her and that taught all these other peers of mine didn't actually play the instrument she was teaching me. But Mrs. Roberts went on to own her situation and she basically explained that she helped woodwind students interpret their music and work on dynamics and articulation and rhythm and you know historical qualities and that kind of thing um huge red flag right um i would never support a teacher doing that this day and age in my current situation but again she was a well-intentioned woman she really was so try not to come after her just yet but that was funny, right? Maybe it's even funnier or something that I did actually keep studying with Mrs. Roberts. So I was with her for, I don't know, maybe a year and a half. Um, That might be overstating the matter. But anyway, we had a decent um, relationship. In all honesty, I probably liked studying with her because I was absolutely the apple of her eye. She thought I could do no wrong. 
and maybe in hindsight, she just didn't know what I was doing wrong. But either way, she made me feel like a million bucks. In my years getting to know Mrs. Roberts, I came to realize that she had a very specific approach to repertoire. She had a couple of studies that she would have her students work on, but basically her students would play a Handel sonata or two, and then play a Bach sonata or two, then they would play the Telemann A minor suite, a movement or two from that work. And lastly, their senior year, she would always have them end with Moquet's uh, Le Flute de Pain. So sorry for my French. Please excuse that. Um, but anyway, that was her plan. In the course of our studies together, Mrs. Roberts made it very well known that she really appreciated the way that I played the slower Baroque sonata movements because I think I was her only student that actually enjoyed the slow movements and liked working on my tone production and breath support and all those things. Um, I was not constantly worried about super quick fingers and she liked that about me. And she always told me that she wished her other students would be on the same wavelength as I was when it came to those movements. In fact, she often employed this little plan where uh, her students uh, were welcome to come in her back door um, at the time of their lesson. So she didn't answer her door. It was just always unlocked and we would wander on in at the time of our lesson. And she would always tell me at the beginning of my lesson when we were working on these slower sonata movements, she would tell me, okay, now as soon as you hear so-and-so come in the door at the end of your lesson, I want you to quit doing whatever you're doing and I want you to play this because she needs to hear that from someone like you. And sure enough, at the end of my lesson, regardless of what we were in the middle of, as soon as we would hear that back door close, she would frantically grab my slow movement from my Baroque Sonata and stick it in front of me and point to me furiously, which was my cue to get on it and start playing some beautiful slow Baroque movements. <laughs> and I would say this happened like 90% of our lessons. <laughs> Enter pro teacher tip number two, which is it is fantastic and very smart on your part to utilize your top performers to inspire those who are still on the journey. But perhaps you might not always let them in on the secret or do it in a way that is quite so obviously contrived. Oh, and perhaps maybe. As a teacher, you should probably be familiar with, like, more than six pieces of repertoire. Just maybe. <laughs> oh, Mrs. Roberts, I actually have all kinds of nuggets of wisdom from her. And truthfully, she did do what she told me in that first lesson she was going to do. She was a very good listener to, for instance, Baroque stylistic elements. And, you know, her students really did flourish well and play well at contests and continue to serve their band well. Uh, we had a very, very strong ensemble. So, you know, she wasn't all bad. I eventually did leave my private studies with Mrs. Roberts uh, pretty much after I exhausted those staple pieces of repertoire and I could tell that she wasn't really sure what to do with me after I learned the Moquet piece 
And at that point, I was teaching about 30 students a week and, you know, in every organization known to man in my high school. So flute lessons just kind of fell off the priority list. And I say that because very much to Mrs. Roberts' credit, when I graduated high school, I received a card from her in the mail, which I thought was very sweet. And she congratulated me on my graduation. And she also included a note that said, by the way, I'm not including any money because I had 10 students graduate this year. (laughs) And that was just such classic Mrs. Roberts right there. I found it endlessly entertaining that instead of just not including any money, she wanted me to make sure that she recognized that she wasn't sending any money, and it's just because she knew 10 other people graduating. (laughs) Enter pro teacher tip number three, and that, my friends, is to stay connected with your students on some small scale, even if they have to leave your studio at some point. Provided students didn't leave in some dramatic fashion or there's not animosity in any aspect of the family relationship, it costs you almost nothing to drop that student a card in the mail every now and then and let them know that you are wishing them well. It is so easy to forget or underestimate how important we are to these growing students and what a significant part of their like fundamental network of support we can become as music teachers. And that is regardless of whether they study with us for one year or 10 years, you know, just dropping a card in the mail or seeking them out after a school basketball game that you happened to be attending, those kinds of things will impact the way that they reflect on their musical studies for the rest of their lives. So it's really important that we continue to let these students know that they are more than just potential income to us, but they are actual valued human beings. And Mrs. Roberts is a perfect example of that because, I mean, really, let's be honest, in hindsight, it does not sound like I was provided with a particularly high level of musical training from her. And yet, I really do reflect back on that experience with 99% positivity. (laughs) And it's probably all because she sent me that card out of the blue when she didn't really have to. And with that, my teacher friends, we're going to start to wrap up. I don't know if this episode meant anything to you or if it's just me cracking my own self up at my own experiences, but I hope this was a fun opportunity just to lighten your load today and take a tongue-in-cheek look at mistakes we can make as teachers and how to kind of view the silver lining therein. And as always, I offer a toast to you, (laughs) music teacher friends of the world. Today, I raise my glass to honor you as well as those teachers who helped you get to where you are today. We celebrate those brilliant, inspired teachers who we never believed could do anything wrong 
as well as those who did their best, even if it did include putting us in an awkward situation or two. (laughs) Just as someone wise once told me about parenting, one of the best parts about this job is we get to keep the things that we loved about our own training and we get to get rid of anything else that we didn't love or that we did not think served us the best. Perhaps today is a good day to ponder what in your past is still serving you today. What are the things that you loved about your childhood training? And likewise, perhaps it's a great opportunity for you to ponder the flip side and question whether or not there is anything in your musical training past that it's time to let go. Whenever possible, let's do that with a smile and a laugh and just know that we are all in this music teaching thing together. (laughs) Cheers to you, my music teacher friends. Just like that, episode number seven is a wrap. Thank you so much for continuing to support this podcast. I am just so happy that it appears to be resonating with you. Uh, You can find me on social media, on Facebook, and on Instagram at Beyond Measure Podcast. And as always, I would be so happy today if you wanted to do a good deed and go write me a positive review on Apple Podcasts. That just helps make sure more of the world can try to find this podcast. Uh, Feel free to share this episode with anyone you think would find it entertaining. (laughs) I really hope I brought a smile to your face today. And um, I wish you well as we gear up for the holiday season. So without any further ado, I will just wish you a great day and we'll see you soon. Thanks so much, teacher friends.